0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Luke chapter 1, let's read in verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. Say his name, Zacharias. That's fun to say. It's like saying Francisco. We'll keep going. Of the division of Abijah. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Someone say Beth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord. Someone say with me, blameless. They were blameless like Job, Abraham, and Noah. These were righteous men and women. Next verse. It says this, but even though they did everything right, they still had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So I want to just, uh, for many of you don't knowing this, uh, in the ancient world, to have no kids would be to have no future. In the ancient world, there was no 401ks, there was no uh, Roth IRAs and investments. When you were old, your only hope was you either established enough wealth in your lifetime that set you up or your kids would take care of you. And it was double misfortunate, economically disastrous, if your husband died because women didn't work back then. So for a woman to not have a child was to have no future. It was, sh- it was, in that day, a shameful thing. Kids represented favor and economic stability. It represented the future. So with that in mind, it says this. So one day after this passage, uh, while, while Zacharias was serving as priest before God, In the order of the divisions, according to the customs of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Incense. That was the place of prayer. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled. He fell in fear And and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer has been heard. Who's grateful that God hears prayers? God has heard your prayer, he says. And your wife, Elizabeth, will get prego and bear a son. And you will call his name John. And you, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And will drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mama's womb. And he will turn many to the children of Israel, to the Lord, their God. He will also be, uh, go before in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zachariah said to the angel, how, how? Come on, say it. how? how. It's so funny when God gives you some good news, you're like, "Well, how? <laughs> how shall I know this? For I am an old man." This is crazy. Let me just say this: I don't think you or me would do much better. Yeah, right, yeah. Come on, you're walking in your 80s or your 90s, and an angel says you're going to get pregnant watch this i don't think we do much better but watch i got to give this guy zacharias some credit because even though he didn't believe he still had the social awareness to realize this watch what he says i'm old man but my wife she uh she's advanced in years come on that guy still had some wisdom in that moment he didn't believe but he knew man my wife will kill me if i call her old she's advanced in years And the angel answered and said to him i am gabriel who stands in the presence of god and i was sent here to speak to you to bring you some good tidings glad tidings but behold you will now because you wanted a sign here's your sign you'll be mute and not able to speak until these days uh, to the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time you can write this in your notes this is free I believe doubt will always cause you to lose your voice. Some of you have lost your voice, your authority, your purpose, and your confidence because doubt will always erode the confidence of God's voice in your life. Another message. And the people waited for Zacharias and Marvel, but he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. It became maybe the greatest game of charades. Pictionary, is that the one? All right, I'll, I'll do that in a second. And, and it says that as soon as these days occurred, the service was completed, that he departed, went to his house. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. So I want to say this cleanly, but he believed the word of the Lord and did his part. We'll keep going. And it says that she got pregnant and she hid herself for five months. Thus the Lord, this is what she says, thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. They would go on to get pregnant. They would deliver a little baby. He somehow communicated the message without a voice that his name was supposed to be John. And when the day came that the the child was born, eight days afterwards, they were dedicating him and naming him. And they said, what's his name? And she goes, his name is John. And they, they looked at Zacharias. They go, are you sure? He goes, his name is John. And the moment he aligned his faith with God's word, his voice returned. And I feel like that's a word for some of you today. But live in this perpetual suspicion of God. That when you would open up your heart to believe, you watch how God will return your voice. So the Holy Spirit comes on him like an Old Testament prophet temporarily. And he begins to prophesy. Say it with me, prophesy. <laughs> prophecy is when God speaks through a human being to other human beings an inspired word. So he prophesies, and it, what, I won't read his whole prophecy because it's over 200 words long. But I will read the first two verses of it. In, in verse 68, he says, "Blessed be the Lord after His voice came back. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people, and was raised up a horn of salvation. Say it with me, salvation." for us in the house of his servant david i want to talk to you today about the lights of christmas is that all right i almost named it christmas lights but i get some emails so if you get offended today at the message you can email me at joel faust at i'm just kidding let's pray today god we love you so much we thank you for what you're doing in orange county we thank you that we believe that this is a season of darkness but god your light will still shine We invite the light of your power, the light of your love, and the light of your presence to shine in this tent and to shine through our services today. We ask you that, Lord, where sin abounds in California, that your grace would rise up and abound even more. We thank you that you're going to revive this land, that a sovereign spiritual awakening is among us and about on the horizons of the future. And we believe, Lord, that you're coming back for a church that has power, signs, wonders, and God is shining without spot and without wrinkle. God, would you use us today? Would you fill us today? Would you meet us where we're at? In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen." I can't believe it's almost Christmas time. Anybody else? I feel like the the year is like a roll of toilet paper. It's slow in the beginning. Right? And by like October, you blink, and it's like January 1 again. But I do love the holidays. Who likes the holidays? Anybody like the holidays? Some people love it. Some people hate it. I like the holidays. I'm not... I don't like it as much as my wife and my daughters do, but I do like it, and I like like the traditions that we have created. I do believe that many of our Christmas traditions were uh, maybe started in America by non-sober human beings. Would you agree with this? I don't know who the guy was that originated with this idea that we're going to cut down a pine tree, and we are going to put it in our living room. I want to meet that guy. I want to also meet him, and he's just, not only did he bring a pine tree in the living room, he goes, let's decorate it for Jesus. And then he's like, grab some socks while you're at it, throw them on the fireplace. Run to the store, get some candy. That's what we're going to do. And while we're at it, let's throw some maybe leaves up on the roof and see if we can get pregnant again. This is not a sober man. Are you following me today? It's is wild, the traditions we have for Christmas. We take the outside and we bring it inside. Yeah. And then we're like, let's get some of our inside stuff and let's put it on the front yard. Yeah. So we start decorating the outside with lights from the inside. Yeah. But I do love lights, I like Christmas lights. Some say, what are your favorite lights? I, I, I think, I've talked to one of, one of my friends, he goes, my favorite lights every year are the lights of my in-laws back of their car as they're driving out of my driveway. <laughs> I'm like, God bless you. Favorite lights. I believe there are lights 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 of Christmas major themes of the Christmas story that many Americans many Christians overlook I, I think it's interesting that Christmas is all about uh if I could talk about Christmas Eve it's all about a elderly couple that got pregnant an unplanned pregnancy Christmas is all about two unplanned pregnancies one senior citizen and one teenager And they're like, oh my gosh. And and throughout the Bible, God has always had this desire to make the barren fruitful. He's always specialized in this miracle, which I believe is going to happen even today, of people that have never been able to get pregnant, that he opens up the ability. And I even believe the day that some of you that have been trying to have kids for five or ten years, I want to let you know, I believe this is going to be a Christmas miracle month. I even forecast not only some babies, I declare some twins are coming. You believe that? I remember praying for my, my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law. I said, Lord, would you please? I've seen this miracle. I've never healed anybody, but I've prayed for many people that could not have kids and seen them get pregnant. And I remember praying for my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law, and they tried for 10 years. They adopted three kids, one set of twins, and their sister. And, and then after seven years of trying, they would get pregnant with twins. And then six months after that or five months after that, they would get pregnant again with another set of twins and they said Mark stop praying for us we're too blessed I believe that Christmas is about is about these major themes and there's seven I believe major themes of Christianity that are actually originate in the origins of Christmas itself we find here, uh, in the, in the very onslaught that this elderly couple by the name of Zacharias and Elizabeth, uh, they live in this town about 19 miles south of Jerusalem called Hebron. Hebron was this famous city. It's actually a thousand years earlier where David got anointed. 500 years before that, that was actually the place that Caleb went to fight with the giants, the the land of the giants, of the the, the sons of uh, of Anak. And and this is a place of great battle and great significance. And it's interesting that 1,500 years after Caleb was there, we find the story picks up with these two older people that weren't fighting the giants of of the, the sons of Anak. They were fighting the giants of infertility. They were fighting the giants of no future, no hope, and I even believe they got to a point in their life they stopped believing that God could answer their prayers. I I I guarantee they spent decades believing and praying. One day we're gonna have kids, but you get into your seventies, you get into your eighties, all of a sudden you're like, look, we're gonna we'll pray for other things. We'll pray for our kids, our friends to get pregnant. We'll pray for other people to experience what we never did. I believe some of the lessons though of the Christmas. Eve story of Zacharias and Elizabeth is not to give up in the doing the right things. Notice here a couple things to shatter bad theology. Number one, the Bible says they were righteous and they still didn't get what they wanted. Sometimes people have this bad theology like Job's friends or Job's friends that they think if bad things are happening to you, you must be a bad person. Notice this, that all they wanted was kids and all they didn't have was kids. And they were, it's, the Bible says they were blameless. So right out of the gate, Luke wants you to know as the author that you can be a righteous person and still experience a, a lack of the promises of God materializing. Yeah. That you can do everything right and still not have what you want. Yeah. Which shatters some people because everyone thinks, well, if I'm a good person, then good things are going to happen to me. And on some level, that's true. But the truth is... The, the, the secret of their story is is it says that even though they didn't get what they wanted and they were old and they were past the age of having kids what does it pick up in verse uh, I love this in verse even um, uh, 8 it says that even though he was old and never got what he wanted he was still serving in God's house I believe many American Christians need to learn the lesson of Zacharias that even when it doesn't go your way don't give up on believing in God don't give up in serving in his house. Don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due time you will reap if you do not lose heart. Come on, if I can't get a Pentecostal man, I'll take a Baptist head nod. Give me a Presbyterian eyebrow raise or a Latter-day Saint deep breath. Come on. I'm telling you we serve a God that specializes in honoring those that don't give up on him. Well, what, good things haven't happened yet. Well, my prayer hasn't happened yet. Well, giving up on your prayers prematurely, I believe, is the number one reason why God dreams do not materialize. Many people carry the promises of God six months and have abortions. And I want to encourage you today never to to end the life of a God dream prematurely. We don't determine the day of birth. Our job is to steward that promise as long as God has put it inside of us. Feel God in here today. And Zacharias teaches us to be faithful and serving even when we don't see what we want. And while he's serving, notice what happens. He gets selected. He has this sovereign coincidence that out of all the priests, he basically draws straws. And he gets to go into the holy place. Tables there, it's overlaid with pure gold. There's incense burning. Listen, the altar of incense was actually, it it was representative of the place of sovereign prayer. And I love the fact that maybe the prayer that Zachariah has prayed more than any other prayer in his entire life, God, I just want to be a dad. And his wife, I just want to be a mom. That the day he stands in this, this sovereign selection, once in a lifetime opportunity for this guy to actually be in the holy place and to actually light these incense into pray. that an angel shows up by the name of Gabriel. Yeah, you heard of Gabriel. That's the same guy that showed up to Daniel a few hundred years earlier. It's the same angel that would bring a message to a teenage girl a few months later. Yeah. Gabriel shows up with a message, and it's interesting that the message was connected to the prayer he's prayed his whole life. Yeah. And I love this, that at the altar of incense, at the place of prayer, God sends his messengers. And I want to encourage some of you today to not give up on praying, because yeah. oftentimes it's the place of prayer that God sends his greatest, his greatest responses. We're going to be a praying church. If you believe it, come on, say amen. amen. So he's there and he starts praying and, and it says that the angel talks to him and gives him a promise and, and it says that he doesn't believe. He did one thing right. He didn't call his wife old. But he did one thing wrong. He didn't believe that it could happen. He goes, I need a sign. He goes, all right, here's your sign. You're not going to have a voice until you actually see this thing come to pass. And I love this story because what we see about Zacharias is he loses his voice comes out of the holy place i want to see the video footage in heaven of how this old man acted out like charades and fictionary to his wife right he's like all right two words two words right uh angels on the outfit call anybody with me angels on the outfit no angel right And he's acting this thing out. And it tells us, somehow communicates to his wife with a tablet or something. He, he says, look, I was my voice has been removed. I'm actually, we're going to have a son. We're going to name him John. And the message actually goes through. He does his part. She gets pregnant. And the Bible says that after she conceives, eight days later, he obviously transmitted the message to his wife because she said his name is John. Yeah. In those days, you wouldn't name a kid a random name. You'd only use names that were your name as the father or the grandfather. You'd use a family name. So he uses a non family name. And what we see here is after he does that, his voice returns. His voice returned when he lined up his 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 obedience, his his faith in what God's Word has already said. His voice returns, and what we see here, and I'm, almost, I'm getting into this, is the Spirit of God came over him when the voice came back, and watch what happens. He begins to declare a prophetic word, and he gives, I believe, the, the flagship cornerstone of Christmas. The first thing that he says, notice what he says in verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, this is Zacharias, who has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of, say it with me, salvation the the number one message of Christmas is God sent his son to save and some of you today are like what's Christianity all about it is about God dealing with things that humanity could never deal with God paying for things that humanity could never afford and god would send his son and the word salvation is an interesting word actually in the greek language it's actually a word that uh it it, it carries with it the the meaning it, it's the word uh, soteria it means deliverance preservation restoration and protection or safety that's exactly what it means he says that listen out of out of this place uh the horn of salvation out of from this people, God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant. Stay with me, David. David. Yes. Well, wasn't Zacharias talking about his son, John the Baptist? No, he wasn't, because John the Baptist was of the household of Aaron. He was a Levite. He was of the household of Levi, and the only one that was of the household of David at that point in time was Jesus. So he says, the number one thing that Jesus is going to do. Is he gonna come on the scene as a savior, sote ria, and he is gonna deliver those that cannot deliver themselves. He's actually gonna preserve those that could never preserve themselves. He's gonna restore those that have jeopardized, screwed up, and broken their lives. He's gonna restore them, and he's gonna protect them with the safety. Listen to me, some of you are like, Well, Mark, well, what's so significant about Jesus as a savior? The truth is, God knows our greatest need. And he knows that if our greatest need as human beings was uh, entertainment 2,000 years ago, God would have sent Jesus the entertainer. Maybe like a singing computer called Adele. That was a joke. I'm telling you that not only did God not send an entertainer, if God knew our greatest need was money, 2,000 years ago, God would have sent us Jesus the economist. But that wasn't our greatest need. And if our greatest need was technology, 2,000 years ago, God would have sent us Jesus, the great scientist. But he didn't send a scientist. 2,000 years ago, God would send his son, Jesus, the Savior. Because the greatest message that humanity has ever needed was that there is guilt, shame, and things that you have done that you could never pay for by yourself. You need a Savior. You need God to call out to, cry out to. A God to say, you know what? I screwed up. I missed the bus. Would you please forgive me? Some of you have this whacked out worldview that you're like, well, if more good things happen than bad things, then I go to eternal life. That is not the way it works. Good people don't go to heaven. People that are forgiven by a perfect God go to heaven. I'm telling you that Jesus paid our prison sentence. You know why he had to come out of the grave? Because he had to prove that he has served his time. It'd be like if you owed some prison sentence and one of your friends said i'm going to go to prison for you and let's say it was a 10 year sentence and you saw your friend one day and the next day you didn't see him and you didn't see him again for 10 years and you wonder for 10 years am i going to get arrested am i going to get in trouble are they going to come for me are they going to send me that prison cell and you would not have a confidence that your debt has been dealt with Until 10 years later, when you saw that guy walk out of the prison cell and say, the last 10 years, see the beard, you see the outfit, you see the chains. Yeah, I've been here for 10 years to pay your time. And the reason why Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. And he booted the the rock away from the entrance of the tomb. And he stood out of it. And he walked into the upper room where they were praying. And he said, touch me, Thomas, and see for yourself that I was wounded for your transgressions. I was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement of your peace was upon me, but by my stripes. You're healed. You're forgiven. And I'm telling you that we serve a God that doesn't just save. He's a God that heals. Some of you today are addicted. And I got news for you. That the message of Christmas is about a baby come to the world to bring deliverance to those that can never deliver themselves. Addicted to pills. Addicted to cutting. Addicted to eating disorders. Addicted to sexual things. Addicted to all kinds of vices and perversions and wickedness. We serve a God. Why did Jesus come? Well, the first major light of Christmas was Esoteria. He came to bring deliverance. He came to preserve, to restore, and to bring safety. And if you believe it, can I get a good amen? Salvation is the key message of Christmas because at its heart is the story of God sending his son to deal with our darkness. We call it Sin. But that word today is so tuned out in churches. I want to use a better word, Uh, maybe not a better word, a a, a fresh word called darkness. We're in a series called Let the Light In because, quite frankly, there is a darkness in the human soul that never leaves until you invite his light. Some of you have sleepless nights, and you're scared to death, and you're freaked out by eternity, and you worry about all the things that you could never control. And you have so much anxiety and fear because, listen to me, it's so, it's, so, it's so evident because you are the author of saving power in your life. Something liberating happens when you go, God, I am not the savior of my life. You're the savior. And so I want to tell you today that the heart of the Christmas message is salvation, number one. Number two, are you with me today? The second light, which is a secondary light, is the light came in and we see that through Mary... We see it through elizabeth we see it through the wise men we see it through the shepherds that the light came in and the second thing we see that christmas does is it announces to humanity that not only has he come to give salvation that he came secondly to give favor yeah. some of you have no idea some some say well this is one of those churches that preaches blessing and favor and wellness and health and all the things that everybody wants that no one doesn't want and i'm like yeah well here's the problem is that the idea of favor is not a north american church idea gabriel looked at a 14 year old and he said rejoice highly favored one christianity started with a girl that had an encounter with god that the life of jesus began to live inside of her and she started carrying listen mary was the first one to carry jesus but never supposed to be the last christianity is the idea of getting filled with the presence of jesus And the longer you carry his presence in you, the bigger he gets inside of you. And if you carry him long enough inside of you, all your friends start realizing, oh my gosh, you're showing. We got a bunch of Christians in America that aren't showing at all. I had no idea you're pregnant. I don't see any fruit of pregnancy. But I'm telling you that when you actually have an intimate encounter with God, that he'll fill you with his spirit and he'll put his presence inside of you and you'll carry his presence and if you carry it long enough it'll get bigger inside of you and larger inside of you and it's amazing all of a sudden this life in you will start changing your cravings yes. Yes. i love how little babies my wife loved subway yes. i told this story so many times when she was pregnant all she wanted was subway yes. i was buying a long after foot long. i was just throwing it in the room <laughs> She's going to hurt me for that later. She loves Subway. All she wants is eat fresh. She ate so much. My wife doesn't even like Sub sandwiches. But for some reason, my Kenzie in the womb could not get enough. It's funny because my daughter ate so much Subway in the womb that she hates it now. The smell of Subway makes her nauseous. I'm telling you that Mary had an intimate encounter with Jesus. And a life was left inside of her. And I'm telling you that a favor came on her life. Rejoice, highly favored one. You know the word favor here is actually the word charis. Charis is the Greek word. It's in the New Testament 136 times. 130 times, it's translated grace. Six times, it's translated favor. You know what I'll tell you today is that Christianity is about a son of God coming into the world. Remember the story of uh, the boys, Esau. Remember, remember Esau, the, the, the sons in the Bible, when they got blessed? Yeah. And basically, God would put his hand on one yeah. and actually not give the other one what he wants. He, what, it's crazy. God put the firstborn blessing yeah. on the younger son. Yeah. Remember the story? Yeah. And we see here that Esau doesn't get it, yeah. and Jacob yeah. gets the blessing. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe this morning, some of you were here, you don't realize that Christianity is, is about this idea that God sent his son 2,000 years ago. And treated on the cross, Jesus, the way that you and I deserve to be treated, so that two thousand years later, God could treat you and me the way that He wanted to treat His Son. God put the favor and the blessing of the oldest on the youngest. And I'm telling you today that when you listen, people go, "Favor, Mark? Really? I don't believe that." You say, "My life's going to be perfect." No, I'm not saying that. I don't think favor is a difficult free life. I don't believe that favor is a tragedy free life i the bible says it rains on the just and on the unjust favor when gabriel spoke to mary is the idea that god is coming upon you and with you and he's going to help you to live to do everything that he made you to do say with me favor favor is a divine enablement to do things that you could never do by yourself God opens up doors. God actually, they didn't have any room at the inn, but God had a place still to have a baby. And God directed them and guided them and God provided for them. And God raised up Jesus in the house. Listen, God will always give you the favor to carry the promise of God out in your life. Yeah. Say it would be favor. favor. Carous. And not only was the second light favor, the third light we see in the Christmas narrative of Christianity is God came to save to give us favor. And yes, again, in the North American church, you're going to tune me out, but listen to me. The third major theme of Christmas is the idea of being blessed. Do you realize it says that the moment Mary got the word that she was going to conceive, your cousin's pregnant. You know that old lady that everyone said was barren? She's now in the third trimester. And the next day, it says Mary packed up her camel, hopped on that thing, and she rode three to five days, a hundred miles And when she walked into Elizabeth's living room, Elizabeth greets her with this message. It says that she heard the baby's voice, and the baby leaped in the womb of Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I keep reading? Watch what she says, blessed. Say it with me. Come on, say it again. She says, blessed are you among women. She goes on. She says, not only are you blessed, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, and she goes on at the very, uh, very last verse here, verse 45, blessed is she who believed. Blessed is she who believed. And she says the fulfillment of those things which were told from the Lord. Blessed is she who believed. Three times we see in the, in the story of Christmas Eve that, that Elizabeth pronounces over this girl. That Gabriel said you're favored, but I'm telling you of the Spirit of God, that not only as a son and daughter of God are you favored, you're blessed. I want you to be very clear on this. Blessing doesn't mean that you don't go through challenges. How many know that Job was blessed? Someone's like, if he's blessed, I don't know if I want to be blessed. I read the book of Job, right? You know, I'm telling you that Job was blessed. Write this down. Blessing always deals with the end. Blessing does not mean that I gave my life to God today and I had a perfect week. It was flawless. Blessed means that, man, I gave my life to Jesus. I had some highs. I had some lows. But at the end of my life, like Job said, when I was young and I believed about you, I believed with you with my ears. But now that I'm old and I've seen your goodness up close and personally, I've seen your goodness with my own eyes. God doesn't want people just to believe with their ears. He wants them to see his goodness with your own eyes. Say with me, bless. The word "bless" is powerful. It's actually two different Greek words that she uses here. The first Greek word is in the first verse that she read, that you're blessed among women and you're blessed. And, and that word "bless" is actually the word uh, eulogio. And it literally means a spoken proclamation of blessing. Yeah. It sounds very similar to eulogy. A eulogy is when you speak something nice about someone that died. A eulogio is more powerful than that. It's more significant than a, eulog- than, than a eulogy. It describes the power of a spoken blessing. It's a holy act of declaring a good and wonderful thing over someone, fully believing that those good things will come to pass. This is the kind of blessing that requires speaking. Some of you don't see the blessing of God in your life because you don't, you, don't, you don't realize the power of what your spoken words have. I bless you today in Jesus' name. I pray in God's name that you would bless people out of their discouragement. That you would lift people out of their shame. Our words have power. If you believe it, say amen. It says in James chapter 3, 9 and 10, it says that with it, we, with our mouth we bless and with our mouth we curse. Out of the same openings comes fresh water and salt water. We bless the God with our mouth and we curse our brother, our man, who is made in the image of our God. Here's the word blessing. It's the same word, uh, eulogio, and it literally means this idea that the same power to curse somebody with your words for supernaturally bad reasons is the same power to bless, that I can speak blessing over them to call for supernatural good things to happen. Yeah. Say with me, bless. bless. I believe this is going to be a season we bless our kids. Yeah. Son, daughter. you're going you're gonna to bless. Yeah. You're not going to go this way or that way. You're going to serve God. You are blessed. Told so my Chloe, she was, she's so funny. She's like the most extroverted kid in the world. And all week, every time she talked about this performance today, she's like, Daddy, I'm so nervous. I'm scared. I said, I said, Chloe, you don't get scared or nervous. You remember, you're a Francie. We don't do that. And so today, this morning... She, what did she say this morning? She was getting ready, and she's like, Daddy, I'm not scared or nervous. I'm, I'm, I'm from a Francie. Yeah. That's right, you're Francie. Scared gets Francie. Francie's don't get scared, amen? Yeah. And I just encourage her. Listen, our words have the power to shape blessing. Yeah. And I believe one of the things that Jesus died on the cross to do is, is to take care of us, is to actually treat us as, so people say, Mark, does God have favorites? I believe, like grandparents, all of us are his favorites. Yeah. Grandparents know, I love all my grandkids. They're all my favorites. But here's the truth. I heard one grandparent say it best. He says, you know what my favorite is? My favorite is whatever grandkid I'm with right then. And today I want you to know this, that God's favorites are the ones that are currently with him right now. God is a God that blesses. And not only is Christmas about God's favor, his salvation, but it's this idea that not only does he bless us with a verbal proclamation... That shapes our future. But watch the second word in the, in, uh, that, that Elizabeth declares over Mary in verse, I believe it's verse 45. She, it says, blessed is she who believed. This blessed is different than eulogio. It's actually the word, uh, if I can pronounce it here in the Greek, uh, it's makarios. Makarios is actually the word in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, remember when he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Say with me, blessed. blessed. This word is makarios, and it means literally happy. Yeah. When Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what's right. He's literally saying, not only are you blessed, yeah. you will emotionally be happy. Yeah. And when Elizabeth looks at Mary, she goes, you will be happy because you believe the words of god and i believe much of the discouragement in america today is we believe doctors reports more than we believe god's words we we believe the research from harvard on on the mind and the brain and i'm not saying science and jesus are at odds i am saying that science and uh, facts are a lower power than god's truth that's what i'm saying i think facts are facts i think i think doctors are doctors. i love all of it. i'm grateful for doctors prognosis and doctors reports and doctors medicines but there is something higher than facts it's called god's truth truth is superior to facts and i'm telling you, the response right here reveals my point happy are those that believe truth over facts well, what if it doesn't go the way I want it to go? That's a good question. What if, what, if, what if the truth never materializes in the facts? We know that we don't gauge good or bad looking only on this side of eternity. Yes. That would be the same as you judging a movie by the first two minutes of it. Yeah. It'd actually be, that's a bad analogy. It'd be like you gauging an Academy Award winning movie by the first ten seconds. I watched the first 10 seconds. That's an awful movie. Terrible director. <laughs> awful screenplay. I'm going to review it. Half star. Come on. Negative 10 on Rotten Tomatoes. Why would you give the review a bad review if you only saw the first 10 seconds? The bank can come up here. I'm almost finished. You guys should have came up sooner. I'm like over on time. My oh, gosh. Is, is why would he give a bad review? If you watch 10 seconds of the movie, because, because you never saw the intent of the, of the director, of the, of the screenplay writers. You watch the totality of it to gauge if it's good or if it's bad. And the problem with many times is we, do, we experience hardships and loss in life, and we say, God, if you were good, why did this happen to me in this life? I believe that eternity has to be the, 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 the stage that we gauge God's goodness on. Are you with me? I believe there's answers on this side of eternity that will be answered on the other side. Be re- reunited with family, with friends, loved ones, with children, moms, dads. There's promises that maybe we never fully see in this life, but we live in faith believing. Be with me? Hebrews 11 doesn't just talk about those that Saul promises materialize. It talks about men and women of God that believed and even died in faith. I want you to know that you can live in faith, but you can also die in faith. I had friends that believed up until the very last minute that God can do anything. And I believe those are the rewarded in heaven is that God, I believed even on my deathbed, that you're good and that whatever you want to do is what I want. My, my uncle Wendell passed away of uh, leukemia. Is that right? Cancer of the blood? Yeah. And he had these golf balls at his memorial. He's a golfer. Still have them in my house. And on the golf balls it says no matter what we win this is a man who wrote a book on healing and miracles who died of cancer and he he knew this he said god heal me and i'll write a book on miracles god said no write the book and then i'll heal you and he wrote a book on healing passes away of cancer and many skeptics will mark see god doesn't heal the truth is we don't know if god heals on this side of eternity or if we enter into the next life and we go, God, I died believing. Yes. And the truth is, when you live with an eternal perspective, you don't live rattled by the temporary. Yes. Too many people build their faith on temporary things. So say with me, I am blessed. Happy is the man. It's interesting that even Peter preaches in Acts chapter 3, verse 26, he said, God raised and sent Jesus to bless you and turning you away from your iniquities. The word that Peter uses in Acts three, that powerful sermon is the word "bless." It's the word happy. He says that God raised and sent Jesus to bless, to make you happy, how? By turning every one of you away from your iniquities. You know where happiness comes from? It comes from turning from us to God. Someone does, you don't know the power of blessing. We have such shallow definitions of blessing. People say, how are you? You say, I'm blessed, right? You bless your food. You live in the South, they say, bless your heart. Which, by the way, if you're not from the South, bless your heart is not usually good. Bless your heart is genuine sympathy and empathy, or it's you're an idiot. True blessing speaks of the future that God can create, and true blessing speaks of the happiness that God emotionally can instill in our lives. Someone say with me, I am blessed. God, God came to bring good news of his favor, his blessing, his salvation. Yes. The truth is, if God does save us from our sins, that's favor. Yes. The truth is, if God delivers us from ourself and gives us eternal life, that is being blessed. Yes. And not only does he do that, how about this fourth thing that he does? The, the fourth light of Christmas is this light called guidance. Yes. And even though the word guidance doesn't show up in the Bible... It's like the the book of Esther. You don't see the name of God in Esther, but you see the fingerprints of God everywhere. And there's no word in Luke or Matthew that says God guided. It doesn't use that word. But we know that the light of Christmas is about this idea that from the very beginning of Christmas, when uh, Joseph was freaking out, he's like, this girl is pregnant. You are done. I'm out. I'll quietly divorce you, but you're done. And that night he has a dream, and, and, and Gabriel says, hey, She ain't been cheating on you. It's all good. Don't freak out. It's the Lord. That's some faith right there, by the way. It's the Lord. And it says that he guided Joseph not to divorce Mary. And then he said it guides him later on in Luke. It says that he guided him not to go to a certain town and to leave a certain town because they were killing babies. And he was guided again. And then he had another dream that the angel said to him, you can go back now because the people that wanted to kill you are, are gone and he was guided again. Oh, and what about the guidance of Christmas when the wise men followed a star until the star led him exactly over the house of Mary where she was having the child. How about this, say with me, guidance. I want you to know that Christianity is the idea, it's the belief that God not only saves us, favors us, and blesses us, we serve a God that's big enough to guide us. He'll guide us through pain, through trauma, through tragedy. He'll guide us through dark seasons. He'll guide us through weird stories. Are you hearing me today? We serve a God that guides. I'm telling you today that you might not believe it, but I'm, Psalms 32, 7 and 8 says, "I God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Yeah. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord, Orange County, with some of your heart. Oh. Trust in the Lord with, oh. lean not on your own understanding In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what does he say? And he will direct your steps. Says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The problem is, is we want God to order blessings and God says, no, I order steps. We want microwave prayer answers. We want to pray today and get it tomorrow. But I'm telling you that God doesn't order blessings. He orders steps. And our steps are ordered by a sovereign God. And you mark my words of what the enemy meant for evil in 2020. Come on, can we declare it in 2021 that God's going to turn it around for good? You believe it? Happy are those who believe God's report. Stand to your feet. It takes just as much faith to believe in nothing as it does to believe in something. You know, all, all doubt is, is faith in reverse. It's a handicapped faith, it's a a superior, it's an inferior quality of life. It takes just as much energy to believe that God can and will as it does to believe God isn't doing nothing. So I wanna encourage you today, come on Ocean's Church, seven lights of Christmas is I believe that God came to save, he came to restore, to preserve, to deliver, he came to protect. He's a saving God, if you believe that, say amen. And not only does God save, He's a God that actually has the power to favor me. He'll be with me every step of the way. He'll favor me in my purpose. He'll favor me in my call. Whether I'm a school teacher, a doctor, attorney, I am called by God to make a difference. I am favored, and not only am I favored, I am blessed. My family, I declare, is blessed. The Bible says that Lord, you will bless us and you will keep us and you will cause your face to. That speaking a blessing. Listen, if someone can curse you, how do you know someone can bless you? And I come against the curses on your life in Jesus' name. Generational curses in Jesus' name being broken off. You're not going to die broken like your dad. You're not going to die unforgiving like your mom. You're not going to die in alcohol abuse and drug abuse. I'm not dying an addict. I'm, I'm blessed. We will be a church that breaks the cycle of curse and starts a new season and generation of blessing, yes. my kids will be blessed. My kids will stand on my shoulders. They already are. It's amazing that in 18 short years, 20 short years, my kids have never seen what I saw growing up in Palmdale in Lancaster, California. I grew up in, in, in the wrong part of town. I mean, I'm like Mary. Mary didn't grow up in Irvine. She grew up in Lake Elsinore. I'm from the high desert. Afro Man, Paul George, and Mark Francis, the only three that ever made it out. And I'm telling you today that God is a God that is rich in mercy, and He'll get you out of the darkness that you're in. I don't know, I don't care who your mom and dad are, I don't care how much they did or didn't have, how broken they were or they weren't, I'm telling you that you have a Heavenly Father that has the power to save you, has the power to favor you, has the power to bless you. Are you hearing me? Has the power to guide you. I should not be pastoring a church in Orange County. You guys are smarter than me. You guys are almost as good looking as me. I shouldn't be here. But God with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm, He is a God that saves. I was addicted to pornography. I was addicted to all kinds of bad habits, alcohol. I, was, I drank more in the first 19 years of my life than probably most people do in the totality of their life. I don't drink anymore because I'm like... I don't want to go back. I associate that lifestyle with my old life. My grandpa was an alcoholic, drank like a fish, died of liver failure. I'm telling you, I, I know what it's like to go grow up in a household that's, that's godless. My, my, my grandpa Paps, godless. My grandma Nona, godless. And on their deathbeds, I got to lead both of them to Jesus. Yeah, both of them. My grandpa Paps is a hard man. He's a Vietnam veteran. He was a Marine. He had tattoos all down his forearms. And I remember, my grandpa passed. He's a womanizer and just lived an awful, godless life. And I remember at the backyard, he's a stubborn man, staunch Catholic growing up, and he just like, I don't want, I don't want, you know, and he just got got further and further away from God and just became a really godless person. Like I, I, I'm a believer, indeed. My mom was Catholic, so I believe in God, kind of thing. And I remember when, my is, when, when he's about, uh, about two years away from his death, I remember sitting in the backyard, he's living with my parents. And I sat down with him when he was, he was unhealthy. And I said, Paps, Jesus loves you. He died on the cross to save you. His favor is for you, that He wants to bless you. He'll guide you in this, in this, this last chapter of your life, Paps. He'll be with you. You don't have to be scared of death. I don't want, he starts going off. I don't want you. Ah, that's, that's for weak people. And I pointed at him, you know, sometimes the, the Holy Spirit gives you strength. I got fired up, man. I, 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 normally I just kind of back down because Paps is just kind of cranky old guy. But something welled up inside of me. I looked him in the eyes and said, Paps, I will not go to your funeral wondering what decision you made. We need to do business today. The only day you have is today. And God loves you way too much. And Tears started coming down my cheeks. I said, I love you too much. To wonder if you opened up your heart to Jesus. Stop messing around and, 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 and gambling your eternity and your stubbornness. Open up your heart to God and he'll fill you with good things. The last two years of his life he became a soft man. I led his wife to the Lord shortly after. And I'm telling you guys that the best thing you'll, that the thing you'll never regret in life is giving God more. Say with me, happy is the man who believes. You know what's so funny? Some of you today, you're like, I would become a Christian, but if I did, I would miss out on all my fun times. I want you to know that your fun times will be, actually, for many of you, the things that you regret the most in your, in your life. True fun is living with God and for God, doing things that you'll never regret, that you'll be proud to tell your kids about. Some of your fun times, you would never want your kids to do. Some of the things you practice, you would never want your kids to practice. And we got to shift gears, come on, Oceans Church, from not do as I say, come on, do as I do. Greatest things you can give your grandkids and your children is a godly example. Christmas is about God sending his son to save, to favor, to bless, and to guide our lives. If you believe it, would you say amen? Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.